this little talk is that AA brought us to the idea that the root of the problem was obsession with self. We were extremely concerned with us. Uh, we look at life as how it pertains to us inclusively, exclusively. Those are little samples of it. It's more of a direction. You're just absorbed in this mental idea called Paul. But I don't believe that's the case. I think it's a little bit farther down the line or, or before, which is I believe it's a thing called identification as self. And that is a verb that the conditional mind is into. It's verbing an idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. It's thinking and it's perceiving and it's interpreting from the point of view that there's a you, a physical you, that's in front of and beyond and primary to all other things that you can get or have. Yes? But you is this. And this idea is that that's incorrect, that you are a spirit, let's say, or you are the consciousness that's looking out of your head. And I found when that horse was put in front of that cart, things got lighter for me over the years. And that's the proof in the pudding. If you find something that allows you to travel lighter through all the terrain of your life for a long period of time, you're onto something. I would investigate it because it's working. That's as simple as that. So, this idea is to look at that idea of being a self because I believe when you think you are a self and you feel like you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, you're going to have extreme amount of interest in that. And all the thoughts that are about that, that you think you're having or that you're, you, or you're thinking they're about that, you're going to be extremely interested in following those thoughts. And that's the obsession. So I believe the obsession with self is, is after the identification. And the obsession is what causes the identification to be reinforced. Yeah. Because the identification as self is not a natural identification. It's like you're being bonded to this idea of being a self. So it says, please, please, relieve us of the bondage to self. Well, that bondage to self, the daily bondage, is basically your narrative of the day, really, in your head. You have that little, like, Howard Cosell reporting the game for you, whatever. It's like a little sports announcer telling you how things are going, how they were going, what, can you, what you can expect it to be going like. And you're listening to that, and actually, instead of being in conscious contact with life, you're listening to an interpretation about life, which is a very old interpretation. You've been through it over and over and over again. It just keeps re re delivering the same message, I'm afraid, I will be afraid, I was afraid, I won't get what I want, I'll lose what I have, no one will love me, da ba 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 on and on and on. And it just changes names and places, but it's the same thing. So that narrative reinforces the idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, a body. And if you're primarily a body, you can't entertain that you're spirit. You just can't do it. You can only entertain that maybe the body can become spiritual, which is a very difficult road to hoe, I'm telling you. Because the body isn't spiritual. It's a body, yes? First and foremost, it's a body. So for it to become spiritual, it takes a lot of practice and a lot of diligence. And every moment that you take a break, that spiritual condition will probably lag. And it really won't hold water, basically. When the shit hits the fan, you'll get the, you know, the shit in your face. 
that idea of becoming spiritual really won't hold water. No matter how many retreats you tabulate up or how many whites you wear or how many ass sittings you've done on a cushion. I don't believe in the, when push comes to shove, it's going to serve you because your primary identification is this. And this is what's going to react to all of that. Primarily first, and it's always going to be about this. So you may think you're becoming spiritual, but you'll never be spirit. You can live a whole life becoming spiritual, but it will never translate into being spirit. And really, the real true solution here is to know your spirit, not to become spiritual. To know that your spirit, in my view, is the best way to maintain a spiritual condition, is to know you are one. Instead of it says our daily reprieve is going to be based on or contingent on the the condition of our spirit, you know, our spiritual condition, everything, our daily reprieve is contingent on the maintenance of a spiritual condition. So there's a lot of ways to maintain a spiritual condition, but to me, the best way is to realize you are a spirit. Yeah? Because the spirit has one quality. It's a verb, yes? So if you're recognizing that you're spirit, the verb of spirit will keep invigorating spirit, Yes? Because spirit isn't a solid thing that you got and you put up on a mantle and then you have people come over and go, see that spirit I got right there? <laughs> I caught it in uh, Sixth and Market, believe me or not. About <laughs> uh, 12 o'clock at night on a Friday. There it is, spirit, right there. <laughs> no, spirit is a verb. It's, it's living, it's being, yes? It's, it's going on and you can't know it as a noun. And this is a noun. This is what they call in old Indian philosophy, the beginning of all of the world is name and form. And so you've given this form a name called Paul. And this form and this name creates an ignorance of what? Of your own real spiritual condition. Really. So Paul will maybe get the idea that he wants to become spiritual. But prior to Paul, there is only spirit. When this form is given a name, then Paul may think it wants to become spiritual down the road. But in fact, there's only spirit prior to name and form. And so how can what came after spirit, yeah? In other words, the spirit, I would say, is the reality. This is a sort of an appearance. How is an appearance ever going to capture the reality? Anytime an appearance attempts to capture reality, what happens is it's seen to be an appearance. So in sense, my life got better without me in it. That's what's happened. Life without Paul is how it's going now. And life without Paul is really great. I wish Paul could have been there when it got great, but I realized that was the admission ticket. Paul can't come to the party. Because every time Paul comes to the party, it sucks. Later. So Paul had to be dismissed from any party going, and now life without Paul is wonderful. It's really nice. I grieve it occasionally, but it just can't come along. It's just an impossible thing. It's like I used to use, I used this nice little picture. I like this picture anyway. God, you know, Heaven's Door. Heaven's Door is one of my favorites. So there's Heaven's Door, and, um, you know, life hasn't been going well for me, and so I'm looking for an advantage, and I've tried a lot of things, and then spirituality was introduced to me, and I said, maybe this will be the one that works. So I went up to Heaven's Door, knocked on it, and God answers it, and I go, God, can I come in? And God looks right at me and goes, Paul, can't come in. So 
I get pissed off a little bit, but I decide I'm going to show him, and so now I start practicing spirituality. And so I get the whites, you know what I mean? I start having that lovely gaze. (laughs) Very much at peace. All this, all that, whatever. My voice goes down a couple octaves and I talk slower. Whatever it may be. But their mind will try to mimic like an ape what it thinks spirituality is. That's what it does, really. Because it has no freaking idea. The mind, the mind is a noun, and it can't ape a verb. It can't mimic a verb. Because a verb is a moving thing that can't be captured or contained. A noun is something stagnant and solid that you get to be assured of. I know this is me. You'll never know your spirit. You can't. All you can do is be spirit. You can't know it. It's not a topic to be known. It's something to be sensed the being in this of it. But the noun wants to know it as a noun. And once a noun tries to know a verb, it stops being a verb. That ain't it. That is not spirit. Spirit is a sense of living in a a weird way. So there's this idea of knowing it by being it. There's an old mass that says, you know God by being God. That's the only way you know God is by being it. So being it is a verb. This name and form is a noun. A noun can never get the essence of a verb. The only thing that can get an essence of a verb is another verb. And you are that, as spirit, but not as a body. So here I am, I knock on the door, and then now I have a pretty good spiritual resume. I've been a lot of retreats and a lot of different things, purified myself over and over again. You know, I'm sitting there impatient, you know, I think I want to get in there fast, and I deserve it. So God answers the door, I say, God, can I come in? And he looks right at me, he goes, Paul, can't come in. So now I really flip out. So now I start partying again. I says, fuck this, I'm giving this up, I'm going to go for it, and drink, and then using. And then life whacks me, and I wash up on the shores right near the door, and when I stand up, something happens. There's a little bit of a free sample, or a shift. I I knock on the door, and God answers the door. And I go, can I come in? And God looks right at me and goes, Paul can't come in. And I walk right by. I walk right in. Because he was never saying I couldn't come in. He was just stating a fact. Paul can't come in. The identification as name and form can't come into heaven because heaven is of spirit. The kingdom of heaven is within you and you is spirit, not body. It always, always used to flip me out, that supposed statement. The kingdom of heaven is within you. When I was identified as a body, I said, man, the kingdom of heaven is really skinny, man. That, <laughs> there's no walking at all. There's no room for anyone in here. The kingdom of heaven is within you doesn't mean the body. It means within you, which is spirit. The kingdom of heaven is within spirit, because everything is within spirit, you know, in a sense. So... As soon as I real, so he looks right at me and goes, Paul can't come in, but I recognize I'm not the body anymore. I've woken up, so I walk right in. And therefore, the, the supposed exile from heaven had nothing to do with anything except me playing God. Yes? Me playing God. Because this was telling me I should be able to come in as, as this body form, and in fact I can't enter. So therefore, I was exiled from the kingdom of heaven because of my stubbornness of being identified as this. And it's really wild to be so stubborn of something that's not really working for you, is it? I mean, seriously, you know, what's the best thing you can hope for here is to be special. Has that worked out? 
I mean, I thought the first fairy princess was special. After six more, I realized, something isn't working here. There's this idea that lets me bear the unbearable with the hopes that someday it's going to be great, but it never delivers the goods. When I call up the factory, I say, where's the happiness, joys, and freedom? Oh, it's on the order. You've got to jump through eight more hoops. Go back to school. I did that already. All right, we'll go back to get a master's now. Have another kid or whatever. Then we'll be doing, what about now? No, no, we don't have it on, on store. So I you know, order it. Yes, I have to do and have things. No, the happiness, joy, sense of freedom is the sense of being. It's the spirit that you are. It puts off a sense of traveling lighter because a verb travels a lot lighter than a noun. A noun is a storage unit. <laughs> That's where all your resentments are stored and all your anxiety. You know how much anxiety you've probably entertained today? <laughs> you could have lit up the whole west coast of America. If that could have been hooked up to electrical things, your mind is like a popcorn maker. <laughs> popping it out about what's not happening. What's not happening? Where's your anxiety come from? Does it come from what's happening? If it did, it would be what you call fear, which is a valid emotion, which I would say a normal human being may have 15 or 20 moments in his life when it's really fearful, because there's an event or something that's going on that's really scaring the bejesus out of us. Yeah? But most people are suffering from anxiety that's made in what's not happening. Where is it else? Where are you getting it from? Are you getting it from right now? Is there any threat in this very second? Is someone holding a gun to your head? Where's the anxiety coming from that you're entertaining? It's coming from what's not happening. You're worried about next Friday. And next Friday's not happening. Tonight's Monday. But the powerful addiction we have to that mind, it can, make, it can create the effects of next Friday in the body tonight. So you can be entertaining next Friday when you're going to have cancer or be destitute or your girlfriend sleeping with your best friend or somehow something is scaring the hell out of you now, which isn't happening. And then you're entertaining that. And unfortunately, when your mind's entertaining that, it's, got, it's a very powerful entertainer, it can, it can make the effects of that disastrous next Friday be felt now in your body. Your nerves can be running, your mind racing, your organs are getting compressed, you're contracted like this because you're waiting for the punch constantly. It's like the head, the conditioned head has found a little button that mimics the physiological effects of fear and it's pushing it all day like a crazy little <laughs> buzzing you. So you, let's say you wait for this one moment in the whole day, maybe it's Friday night. You're going to go on a date, yes? Or you have the perfect situation. You've been hoping for this for years with the babe or whoever it may be. And just when the crescendo is going to happen, did I leave the stove on at home? You just, you just you totally missed the whole moment that you've been waiting for for two years. Just like that. If you were in a certain situation and you had five extra thoughts, you'd be in jail for 30 years right now. If you were in a situation, and the, instead of going, I really hate this motherfucker, there was five more thoughts, which is, I'm going to shoot him, and there was a gun, you'd be in jail 30 years from now. Where was your immunity or first defense against those thoughts? Where? You've been listening to him all day for every day of the last 30 years. You think you're going to say no to him then? We're just lucky that we don't have those five extra thoughts. Some people are in jail tonight that did. It's the only difference is five extra thoughts in a certain situation. There but by the grace to go I. 
If you're in the habit of listening to your head, that's called self-reliance. Self-reliance has failed us. It says, why do you have so much anxiety right now? Isn't it because self-reliance has failed you? How do you rely on self? You listen to your head, yes? How else do you rely on self? Is there like a place you can go and lean on self? <laughs> All right, get away from that self pole. I'm going to lean on it. <laughs> next. No, there's no, there is no thing called self that you rely on. It's a thought system called self-centeredness. And we all have it here. We have an extreme example of it called alcoholism. That's all it is. It's just a very extreme degree of self-centeredness. Everyone has self-centeredness, but we're extreme examples of it. And so we come into a meeting room like this, and there's 40 or 50 people. And if there was, let's quote, unquote, say a normie was in here, and we started joking about some of the things we used to do, the normal, normal person would be aghast. I can't believe you shared that in public. And all of us would be laughing. Why is that? They're not identified as we are. I'm not identified with who you are. I'm identified with what's taking you over, because it's taking me over. That's what we identify with at an AA meeting. I don't identify where you come from. I don't identify with who you are. I identify with what has taken you over, because the same what's taken me over, called alcoholism. If you want to look at it as a parasite, it's like a parasite. It's taken you as the host over, and it's been using you to express itself. It uses you for transportation, basically. And there's a large, a large, a large amount of the people that are in alcoholism that go to the same doors, which the other program talks about, institution, jails, and death. From all different places, from all different economic situations, from all different ethnicities, and yet they always end up at the same doors, institution, jails, and death. Why is that? It's because what's taking them over goes to the same place. So you take people in India, if you go to a meeting in India, which I've done, they have the same dilemma we have. They're talking about the exact same thing, because they've been taken over, just like we've been taken over. <laughs> and there's only one parasite called alcoholism. There's not millions of them. And it has been cataloged, and it has been seen, and it has been captured in this book, its little workings. And this is what brought us about to the point where we can get recovery from it, because finally it was recognized. Yes? And what works was revealed, which is one person who has been taken over by the parasite works with another person who's been taken over by the parasite. Because people who haven't been taken over by the parasite just don't get it, what it's like to be taken over by the parasite. <laughs> no matter how much they study it and take, and take tests on it, they just don't get the feel of being ridden by that jockey. Yeah? We have that feel. We know what it's like to, for us to be ridden into the ground. And we can smell when someone doesn't know what it's like. And so that cuts us off from getting help from them. It's as simple as that. So the parasite is something that's taken over us as a host. Yeah? So whatever made you a, a unique host is totally, totally forgotten after a few years of alcoholism. Totally forgotten. You look just like anyone and everyone else who's been taken over. Exactly. If you grew up in New York, that's gone. If you're an Irish Catholic, bye-bye. All this, you just like look like a private in the alcoholic army, you know? Yeah, everyone recognizes you, salutes you, there's an identification because we've been taken over by the same damn thing. Yeah? And I'm telling you, it's not you. It's a foreign installment. Yes?
There was a point, unless you were in a very abusive situation from the get-go, but in my life, my golden years were between two and four because I was <laughs> wide awake. I hadn't been conditioned into any idea of being a self. I didn't know about time, so when I was playing, I wasn't worrying, will I be playing next week? Because I had no idea of next week. My mother could have been ugly as hell and totally obese, and I loved her no matter what, because I, know I had no idea of beauty and ugliness. Yes? It was very, very simple. I was wide awake, totally conscious contact going on. Yes? When fear came, when sadness came through me, I'd throw a tantrum, but a second later I'd be happy as hell. Everything would move very quickly through me. I wasn't a storage unit yet. I didn't have any resentments. I didn't have fear of, of financial insecurity, nor of people. All those pro things that the promise is correct, I didn't have yet. I grew into them. I used to know what to do intuitively, and I forgot that. I grew into having fear of strangers, which I did not have when I was a kid. All those things I grew into, and I grew into it called selfing. Yes? I became identified with the idea of self, and then a strange little subdivision of self-centeredness took me over, which is alcoholism, which is going to be a really rough ride for the host, <laughs> because it's an extremely hostile takeover, as you well know. Yes? It doesn't really, <laughs> it doesn't treat you and I well, does it? It takes you to places you never thought you'd wanted to go, like jail and stuff like that. You're up on stalking charges when you only thought you loved the girl. And <laughs> things get extremely out there, and you can't handle the consequences, and so you want to get relief, so you drink and use again. And it just creates this incredible dependency on the problem, because you're just taking your own thoughts to be your guidance, and your thoughts aren't yours. They're alcoholic thoughts. They're meant supremely to keep the survival of the parasite foremost, not the host. The host has a role, because without the host, that's why alcoholics don't die quickly, if you noticed. They're working around with limps and abscesses. They've been sleeping on the streets for 20 years. They just keep on ticking. You can't kill one. <laughs> the parasite doesn't want to let go of the host. It really doesn't. It doesn't want to treat you well, but it wants you to keep on going. It wants you to keep on breathing. It doesn't want to treat you well. It just needs you to express itself through because it doesn't have a life of its own. So when you see that we all tend to act similarly, we seem to have the same thoughts, and we seem to have the same feelings, and we do such the same reactions to situations in life, you have to realize that all of us have been taken over by something that has certain qualities. It doesn't have a million qualities. That's why the thoughts you're having, I'm having in the same sense. You're calling them yours, I'm calling them mine. But they're not actually mine and yours. They're alcoholic. Yeah? And the feelings that when I walked in here that I felt so terminally unique about, I totally believed no one ever felt like I felt. And then I sat in a room where everyone else thought the same thing. No one felt like they felt. And then we started sharing our feelings and our thoughts and our reactions to life. And if I wasn't just stunned after a while, I could not believe, how did you get my thoughts and my feelings and my reactions to life? Then I realized they're not my thoughts and my feelings and my reactions, and I got some freaking relief from them. I realized they were alcoholic thoughts and feelings and reactions. And I was truly powerless over this takeover which allowed me, gave me permission not to carry the flame of guilt and shame based on the behavior of my alcoholism in the next 40 years of my life. 
if you get really that alcoholism, that you were powerless over it, and it was like dancing with a gorilla, you're only going to stop when it wants to stop, then you will see the total ridiculousness of having guilt and shame for things you actually never even did 20 years ago, that you were driven to do. It doesn't mean you're not accountable, but you're definitely not responsible for it, because you weren't running the show. The parasite was running the show. Yes, I can't, I'll take questions at the end. So the parasite is what I call selfish, selfish, yeah, self-centeredness. We have alcohol as an extreme example of it. And what, how it keeps us in place, because it's very hostile takeover, it has to have an incredible strategy. And its strategy is it convinces the host that it's the parasite. Yeah? So when the self, when this, and this is definitely selfing, it's a verb, there is no noun called self. There's a, there's a noun called a body, but you're not the body. If you ever seen someone you knew dead, and you saw their dead body, I don't know about you, but you, I got a direct, distinct feeling that wasn't them when I saw the dead body. Because I was mistaking the animating principle for their body, because I'm, I've mistaken my animating principle for this body. Yeah. So when you see, we're seeing this is a noun, but we're not this noun. We're the consciousness that's seeing and feeling and tasting and touching and smelling through it. Yeah? The eye's not seeing, though we say it is. It isn't. Because if I died, you could take this eye out and put it in a live body and it would see. When it's in my body, it doesn't see anymore. Because the animating principle's gone. That's what sees through the eye. Not the eye. Yes? This is the first selfing that happens. Hearing... Feeling, tasting, touching, and smelling. That's called conscious contact. Yes? Seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, smelling. That's conscious contact. The conditioned head claims it immediately. goes, I'm seeing, I'm feeling, I'm hearing, I'm smelling, I'm touching. The I represents you as this. A long-lasting, independent, separate entity. That's the beginning of all ignorance right there. And it's reinforced every day, because every day is conscious contact going off every moment you're awake. Yes? And every one of them is being claimed by selfing as I'm the one who's seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, thinking, and smelling. And that's the bondage to self. Because the conscious contact is demonstrating your true nature having the experience called life. You're conscious as spirit. Yes? to hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, smelling things. It is spirit that's having the experience of life through this body. It's not the body that's having this experience of life. The body is like a, t is like a telescope that the scientist looks through. Yeah? So the scientist is spirit. It looks through the telescope to see the stars. It can't see the stars without the telescope. The telescope has a certain kind of lens that allows the stars that are really far away to be seen like they're close up. So the scientist, which is consciousness, uses this body, which allows it to see this world. Yes, da, 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 experience things, other bodies and stuff, and time and space. So in consciousness, spirit can't access this world but through this body. But it's not the body, in a sense. Yeah? So the telescope is seeing, the scientist looks through the telescope and it sees the world and has experiences. What happened is, the telescope thinks it's seeing. 
and feeling and tasting and touching and smelling. It's not. It facilitates the spirit seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, and smelling. But without the spirit, there's no seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, and smelling. There is no life without the animating principle. And so I would actually say that's more you than the body it's seeing, looking through. Yeah. So I found, if I realize that I'm not self, what happens immediately is I lose interest in the obsession with self. Because it's very simple. It's like using the antidote, the poison as antidote. If someone, if I'm keen on this woman who's sitting out here, and I don't know what she's thinking about me, but I want to find out so I can ask her out or something, because I'm already married to her in my head. You know? <laughs> I haven't even said hello, but I'm married to her. So I'm sitting here listening intently to what she's saying, because I'm hoping she's talking about me. And I'm supposed to be doing this, but I'm here, not here, you know, because all my attention's going there. People go, hey, Paul, stop, you know, come back to this meeting. And I know they're right, but I can't seem to come back. Yeah? But as soon as I hear she says, she's talking about Matt, what happens? I lose interest in that conversation immediately. My name is Paul, by the way. Huh? <laughs> I lose interest in that conversation immediately. I don't have to take a workshop to lose interest in a conversation in the other room. Because it's not about me. Yes? The obsession with self is totally fueled by the idea that you believe it's you. That's why you have such a keen interest in hearing about it all day. <laughs> Seriously, the same selfing, if somebody you're working with comes over and, and sort of projectile vomits some selfing on you, you know, for five minutes, tells you, oh, I'm not going to get new all about what's not happening. You are sick and tired of it in five minutes, right? Three minutes, really. You want to, you know, you say, go help somebody, or, you know, I'm going to do my laundry. Hey, I got, there's a phone call, whatever. Anything to get out of it. But you've been listening to the same thing for 40 years. What's the difference? It's about you in here, and you're, you have an immunity when it's happening in there because it's about them. It's not the thoughts that bind you. It's the my of them. My thought, the act of identifying. That's what causes the... See, believe, people believe the thoughts are binding them to self. The selfing binds the thoughts to you, yeah? Thoughts are just thoughts. But the thought you have about them, that they're yours, is what binds you to them. Then your attention gets trapped with that thought and you have to go with it. Yes? And when you go with it, it's like your attention spawns with that thought, and more thoughts are made about what that thought first was, yes? And, and so you actually, from your end, download meaning into the thought by the my. The my is like the USB plug, yeah? <laughs> really, the thought is, goes by, you say, this is my thought, you plug it in, and then a lot of files download. <laughs> because all you are are old ideas, really. Old ideas old feelings, re it's all redoing constantly. And, and that gets downloaded into that thought. Yeah. So what bonds you isn't the thought, it's the downloading. And then you're bound to it. And so that thought, it's like a fly that gets caught in a room. The fly doesn't want to be in your room. I'm serious. <laughs> it can't get out. There's no door that or windows open, so it just buzzes. <laughs> and it drives you crazy. You were having this for 30 years now. But the, it's not the thoughts. They don't want to be in this orbit. It's your selfing 
That creates the gravitational pull. It's the identification as what you believe the thoughts are about you, or you're the thinker of them. That's two ways of being held. Either you believe you're thinking the thoughts, or they're about you. That's the gravitational pull. And you're not going to break it. That's why you're going to be wrestling with obsession with self. As long as you believe you're a self, you're going to be wrestling with obsession with it. Because the obsession with it is how it gets rebonded all day. It's not a natural bonding thing. Yes? Spirit and consciousness bound to a body is a difficult deal to keep happening. There has to be a re-engagement of a very strong glue, and that's the daily narrative in your head. It's always about you, 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 you as this, not you as spirit, you as this. Yeah. You listen to it, and so you're bound to it. Your attention gets captured, and now, instead of recognizing the conscious contact, because that's what's happening, yeah. Like Buddha said, when you see, see, when you hear, hear, when you feel, feel, when you taste, taste, when you touch, touch. And that's what's happening. The conditional mind's reaction is, I touched, I felt, I heard, I seen, and then it just pontificates on that. I didn't want to see that, or I want to see more of it. And on and forth, and it just riffs on it, like John Coltrane, it's not selfing. And it just plays a nasty tune of I, me, and my all day, based on conscious contact. But the conscious contact is what's so. Yeah. That spirit being engaged, it's consciousness meeting itself in things, really. That's what it's doing. Things are just an appearance of spirit. Spirit is meeting things which are itself and having an experience here. What's wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. But this head makes up a story about it, which causes you to forget the conscious contact, which makes you unconscious. You can be as conscious as you want about everything out here, but if you're unconscious to the fact that you're spirit, none of this knowledge is going to do any good for you. It's all going to be self-knowledge and it will avail you nothing. What is self-knowledge? It's knowledge that's been claimed by selfing. As soon as knowledge is claimed by selfing, it's neutered. It's neutered. It's not going to bring you freedom from self. It's trying to bring you freedom as self, which there is no freedom as a self. It always is conditional, based in time, and it's always going to end quickly. See it, you know? So, I don't know, I think we're the most prone prime people to hear this message because we've gotten our asses kicked. I mean, the prayer I have when I was new is please give me the ability to be convinced. I can't take another five more rounds of this, really. I'm just, my ass is royally kicked. Let me get it. <laughs> you know? That any life run on self-will is not going to be successful. That self is what has defeated me. Please, let me finally get it. Because that's what happened to me. I was convinced. And it was a done deal, and it's never changed since then for 21 years. It was just finished. Bingo, bye. AA presented the problem. I identified with the problem. It led me into a solution, which I identified as. Yes? The solution is my immunity to the problem. To me, the solution is I am spirit. Not that I need to become spirit, or i got to get spirituality. I am spirit. And that gives me the immunity to the problem, because the whole problem is based on the ignorance of that fact. That's the whole problem. When you recognize that you're spirit, you'll have immunity to the thoughts that are anything about other than spirit. That's all they're about is body and, and time and head. Yes? You can't have a thought about spirit. You can't capture spirit in a thought, because the thought is dead. 
Spirit is live, living, being, being alive, you know. So. I found, as soon as I looked at selfing is not me, I lost interest in it. And isn't that what you want? It'll give you an immunity to thought. And we, we sorely need immunity to thought. Because a thought can just ruin your whole day, can't it? <laughs> everything, everything can be going swimmingly, and then you think, is my hem, is my pants too short, or something? And then your mind just obsesses, and you're totally out to lunch again. You know? like, I mean, when was the last time you actually walked in a room instead of thinking about walking into the room? <clears throat> really, literally. Watch where your attention goes. Does it go into the act of walking in the room, or does it go into the act of thinking while you're walking in the room? Mostly thinking. Is anyone seeing me? Do I lose? Do I zipper up or something constantly? Yeah. This is about maybe, maybe seeing all that attention that's been given to what you're not isn't serving you at all. Yeah. It's like your atten- It's like here in this room, every one of us has tons of faith, tons of faith, tons of faith. This idea of having to get faith, I think, is totally bogus. We have tons of faith. Look at how much faith you have in your thoughts. And look at what it's doing. You're giving you, you're giving an incredible potential that you are, which is faith, into thoughts that are producing anxiety with that faith. The thoughts are about next Friday, how bad it's going to be. You believe it, and you have anxiety now. That's incredible, isn't it? They talk about miracle workers, that you can move a mountain with a mustard seed of faith. You're making what's not happening override what's happening. That's not even a mustard seed. <laughs> it's not happening at all and it's being made to seem that it's happening you are a miracle worker <laughs> really to have what's not happening override what's happening every day in and out day in and day out you are I mean you must be exhausted <laughs> literally because if you just accepted what's happening you have an immunity to what's not happening. And most of your anxiety you're having right now doesn't come from what's happening. It comes from this imaginary field of dead crops that you keep cultivating and producing super humongous marijuana buds of guilt and fear and this and that, and then you smoke them now. You're totally intoxicated in the realm of what's not happening. Doesn't it drive you crazy when someone's talking about how real their fear is and it's not happening? It's like, Jesus Christ, this is amazing that you could be so sure that you're flipped out by next Friday when it's Monday. It's incredible. My hat's off to you. <laughs> but if you put the faith in this vehicle of what's now happening, what it does is it translates as an ease and comfort in your skin now. What more do you want? Seriously, you may not, it doesn't worry about getting a parking space next week at the meeting. That's baloney. It translates now as an ease and comfort, yes? Because you have an assurance that all is well. Huh? You have an assurance that all is well. You can't cover what's not happening with all is well because it's not happening. Yeah? In what's not happening, anything can happen because it has no definition. It's not happening. So your head, which can entertain amazing stuff, it usually tends to entertain like hellish 80%, heavenish maybe 15%. 5% indifference, yeah. So, 80%, I mean, it'll entertain hell. 
I mean, you drop an alcoholic into heaven, it'll be hell in a day. No, no doubt about it. It will find something wrong in it in about an hour. So, here you are. You are making what's not happening seem real to you now. Are you flipping out? If you are, you must be flipping out based on what's not happening. Because there's no, no reason to flip out now, here. It may be boring, and maybe you may hate me or resent me, but there's no need to flip out. But if you're flipping out, that's a pretty good diagnostic tool that you're not inherently here, seemingly. Because what's not happening is producing the flip out. It's downloading into what's happening through you, and you're now entertaining what's not happening over what's happening. Yeah. To me, this is like playing God. And it says in our book, quit playing God. This is what self does. It plays God with your life. Doesn't it? When you wake up in the morning, doesn't it tell you how the day's going to be? That sounds like God to me. <laughs> really? Doesn't it tell you how you were, how you're going to be, how you will be? Especially how you will be. How they were, how they're going to be, how they will be, how the world was. How it's, isn't it pontificating constantly? This is, you haven't even gotten vertical yet. It's just telling you, you won't be loved. You know, it's guaranteed you'll never be loved again. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's insane. It's like, you, you're just 24-7 K-Paul all day. And commercials constantly downloading. That's playing God. And it says, quit playing God. Why? It doesn't work. Not that it's wrong or right. It doesn't work. See, now what I found is I'm not going to try to convince what's playing God to quit playing God. I just want to realize I'm not that, because it's using my godlike energy to play God. It has absolutely no power whatsoever, unless the power it has, I've given it. And the only reason why I give it is I think I am that. Yes? When I realize I'm not, selfie may still have some momentum over time, but it will decrease in mileage per hour, like, unbelievably. Because it's using you, the beingness of you as its fuel. And the reason why we keep giving it to it is we are identified as it. It's as simple as that. If you ask everyone in this room what self defeated them, everyone would have the same answer. Myself. Everyone. Everyone in this room would come up with the same answer to that question. Myself defeated me. It's the my. The act of identification. Self does not defeat anyone. It's when you're identified as it, it defeats you because it allows you to forget your true nature. Which is a colossal defeat. Yes? To take on the slings and arrow of being a body in this place. When you, it's sort of like those movies. This always blows my mind out. When those angels, like with Nicolas Cage, decide they want to give up eternal bliss in the celestial realms to make it with Meg Ryan. You know? So I'm going to give up my angel wings to come here. Like, this is a great place to be? Give me a freaking break. The arrogance of self-centeredness. Like, that an angel would really want to come here. <laughs> give me a freaking break. Oh, yeah, just to go to bed with Meg Ryan. I know, I know I'll be divorced in two years, but hey, yeah, sure. Eternal communion with God? Who cares? I want some piece of ass down here. <laughs> you know, it's mind boggling. Or in the other movies, when someone dies and the person stands up, you can't do this to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's inconvenient, but I am dying. <laughs> no, no, you can't leave me like this. <laughs> this is self-centeredness to the extreme. Yes. It's, it's, it's a disease. You don't understand how deeply enmeshed it is in us. 
Yes? We're identified to it in the core. We're taking physical sensations as a sensation of being me. We're taking physical sensations as evidence of being me. We're feeling physical sensations, and the body says, this is how I'm feeling. This is how the body is feeling. Yes? It is not how you are feeling. When those thoughts have a voice, and it sounds like your voice, why does it sound like your voice? They're just a voice from a set of vocal cords, but you're identified as this being you, so the voice of this sounds like your voice. It's called identification. It's an act that your mind's doing constantly. It's interpreting life as this being you, and it's a sorely mistaken, and we're suffering the consequences of it, because we're forgetting our spirit. Yeah? Not our spirit, we're forgetting spirit. Man, it was unbearable. I don't know about you, but to me, I was in hell. Literally hell out there. My head was going bananas every second of the day. It felt like taut barbed wire, but it never would snap. Yeah, It was just like on, all day, just flipping out. Total anxiety, total fear. Not even close to a day at a time. Not even close to now. Just living as a reaction of the past and speculating into a future. And all I wanted to do was, like a rat, get some cheese. I knew I was going to be institutionalized and jailed in death. I knew it. I just wanted to get high before it happened. And what I was calling the unbearability wasn't the moment. It was me in the moment. Yes? The moment was my salvation. But I was so petrified of the moment because of the me so I never looked where my real solution was, and I kept going with the solution my mind offered was getting loaded, getting high, just keep running, keep running, you'll outrun this thing. And I didn't outrun it. Thank God my body lasted long enough for me to get recovery. But man, I wouldn't want to spend another moment in that hell. And right now, many of us are in hell. It may be two degrees cooler than before, so we call it like a conditional heaven. It's still hell, brothers, sisters. Any identification of self is bondage. You're bonded to self. I mean, for me, this is freedom. Freedom from the bondage of self. So now that whole story about why you didn't show up for the love that came your way, you'll realize why you didn't show up. You were scared shit of it. Living on the edge, thinking like getting shot, you know, shooting up and getting shot at. Living on the edge is receiving unconditional love for five minutes. Watch what your head thinks when someone's loving you unconditionally. You don't deserve it, motherfucker. You've got to kill this person. Get her out of my, out of my hair because she, it's unbearable seeing how much hatred I have inside of me for myself. Fuck. Shit, it's so mind-boggling. When you see the beast... When you see that parasite, especially when it's removed, it is unbelievable. You see it from head to toe. You see its total intent. Its total intent. And to, you know... You know, there was an old story about God. Uh, what hell would be like would be that you actually had an, you knew what God was and you had no recourse to ever know it again. That would be hell. 
most of us don't know what we're really missing. So we're just making do in the dark. Yeah? We haven't, we've forgotten the light. So it's just like if someone turned this light off in this room, suddenly there'd be a lot of problems would occur in this room. Yeah? People would bump into other people when they got up. And they'd maybe bump into to chairs and tables. And they wouldn't know where the bathroom was. And maybe they'd have a little accident. And so what we do is all these problems start happening, and we just try to figure out solutions for them. So we get knee pads, you know? And we have, like, preemptive apologies. I'm probably going to bump into someone in here because I can't see a damn thing. And then people sell us maps about they were once in a room when there was once light, and I think I know where the bathroom is. So they sell you maps to where the bathroom is and little flashlights. File, follow this map and you may get there. Instead of just putting on the freaking switch. All the problems are based on the absence of light. That's all the problems. Darkness is the absence of light. We're hunkering down in the darkness and we're trying to find solutions to an imaginary problem. Absence of light is not a problem. It's just the absence of light. When the light is entertained, the problems don't look like they did when you were in the dark. Yes? You see them. You're illuminated. I don't have to buy a map to get to the bathroom. I can see the door. Yeah? I don't have to. The knee pads bye-bye. I don't have to make an apology to you or have guilt or shame for when I bumped into you because I'm not bumping into you anymore. All the problems are based on the ignorance, the darkness. You are the light. The steps allow you to have a spiritual awakening. What is that? You wake up to the inherent light that you are. Unfortunately, most of us keep identifying with I had a spiritual experience. That's not it. That's what the... The conditional head does, if it has an epiphany, it claims that it had it. It never had the epiphany. An epiphany or those period of time when you were unadorned in selfing, yeah, you were free from the self. It's the self rises up in your head and goes, oh, I had this incredible spiritual experience. It never had the experience. It just claimed it. It's never seen or felt or smelled or touched or tasted ever. But it's claimed all the seeing, the feeling, the tasting and touching. It's claimed your life. And it says, well, self seems like it has a life of its own. No, it has yours. It doesn't have a life of its own. It has your life by claiming it. From the moment of conscious contact, it's claimed it. Yeah? And constantly repeating that claim. It never says, when you see now, I'm seeing. It's just insinuated now, isn't it? When seeing's happening, don't you feel like it's you seeing? Come on. You as this body, come on, you do, don't you? <laughs> it's not like a novel event. Seeing, unbelievable. No, I'm seeing. I've been seeing so many times and getting tired of seeing. Hearing, yes? Doesn't it sound like it's you hearing it? It does, yeah? It's a, the old idea is already in place. So the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching happens, and it just this incredible reaction goes, I saw, I, it must be bored doing it now. So it just says, I'll just have a belief there now. So I hear, I'm seeing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching. Because conscious contact, every moment's occurring. It would, it would probably go crazy if it kept after saying, I'm seeing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching. I'm seeing, I'm feeling. So it just says, there's a belief that I'm the seer, I'm the hearer, I'm the feeler, I'm the taster, I'm the... Yes? There's a belief now. And that belief isn't being looked at. We're living from it. And we're suffering the situations and the effects of that. Selfing has a huge amount of effects. 
So I'll end with this one little story. I love this story because to me this is in the book, page 64. It makes a statement. It says, being convinced, which means to believe with certainty, that self, manifested in various ways, yes, is what has defeated us. So it's making a very clear difference between self and us, yes? It says, being convinced that self, manifested in various ways or appeared in various ways, is what has defeated us. All right? We're all convinced that. Now, we will now look at its, meaning self's, common manifestations in our life. And the next paragraph is resentment. So to me, what actually I think the inventory process is about is looking at self-expressions in your life. It's not about your resentments and fears and harms unto others. That's the identification of self. So all the while you're doing the inventory, the root of the problem is showing itself every step of the way, and we're not seeing it. We're identifying the fear as ours. We're identifying the resentments as ours. We're identifying the harming other peoples as ours. And that, to me, is self-expressions. While they're coming through, I claim them. That's the bondage to self. That's, it's to me, it's an unbelievable demonstration. So, here's a guy in this situation. Has a beautiful lawn. Beautiful, pristine lawn. Has a porch. Nice little house. And every day he runs around the lawn with no shoes on. Every day. Loves it. And he has, like, croquet matches and barbecues and picnics. It's a big part of his life, you know? Then one day he steps off the porch and he steps in some shit, dog shit. So immediately his life has to change. So now he has to wear shoes when he goes on the lawn. And then he starts walking around the lawn and he keeps stepping in the shit. He says, where did all this shit come from? So he decides like a best an alcoholic, when he just goes into his house and ignores it, thinking it'll be different when he gets out. So four hours he comes back out and there's more shit. Everywhere it's what? Jesus Christ, it smells and everything. So now what does he do? He just pulls the blinds down, he gets pictures of lawns, and he just starts reminiscing and you know, complaining about the loss of lawns and, oh, I wish I had that lawn back. It's, there it is, right there, but it's full of shit, you know? So some guy comes into the house one day, knocks on the door, says, hey, I, I think I have a solution to your problem. And the guy goes, yeah, what is it? He says, here, here's some pooper scoopers. Yeah? Start pooping. If you scoop those poops pretty fast, you may have at least a little bit of your lawn back. Maybe a two-by-four. Only one person at the picnic, but, you know, at least it's better than nothing. So you start getting pretty good. And people hear about it who are suffering from the same situation. So they start calling you up, and you start giving them advice about pooper scoopers, and maybe you start selling an autographed copy of a pooper scooper. And, and you're two, and you've got pictures, little videos. You know. And this is how you'll be able to reclaim your lawn and have a little, at least a little fun in it. It won't last for long, but you, maybe you'll get a couple of moments here and there. And so he gets to be known, and now people are asking him to speak. He becomes like a circuit speaker. Pooper scooper, yeah? He's like a pooper scooper thumper, yeah? And now the selfing has claimed this new solution and become identified as an authority of how to pick up shit from the lawn. So now one day, and people are coming, and he's holding seminars and everything. And one day a guy comes in and says, hey, I think I have a solution. And he says, what? I don't have a problem. I mean, the, the, the shit on the lawn. They said, no, 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 I've got it handled, man. Look at it. Look at all these people. They call me up. I'm speaking this week on this. Hey, you know? But I don't need any solution. I got the solution. The guy says, okay, it's fine. And as he's walking out the door, he says, well, but one day you may just want to find the dog. What? Find the dog. Find the dog. <laughs> find the dog. 
If you find the dog, there's the, that's the cause of the shit. Get rid of the dog, you don't have any shit. Yeah? The dog is self. You're identified as it, that's why you can't entertain getting rid of the dog, because you're identified as the dog. So now you're living the best you can, which is to pick up the shit that it jumps into your life. <laughs> and, you, and you hold yourself as a great success when you can pick up more shit than others. <laughs> In fact, you're busy picking up shit. Pretty much busy picking up shit. Find the dog, and there goes the shit. You can't find the dog if you keep thinking it's you. Because you love that dog. <laughs> so you'll get therapy for it, and try to train it to only take one kind of shit, the most easily one that's picked up or whatever. No diarrhea for you anymore. Too much messy. And all this and all that. And it's all well and good, but why not get the solution? Find the freaking dog. Tell the truth. You're not that. And I'll tell you, you'll lose interest in it. And when you tell the truth about it, you can be free of it. And the truth, in my view, about it is you're not it. So all the knowledge you acquire about self, if it's not claimed by self, will lead you to freedom from self. Because all the knowledge will distill into one simple statement. I am not that. Yes? And if you are not that, you will lose interest in the obsession that your mind has about self because it's not about you. And you'll lose interest in it. And if you lose interest in it, where's that attention going to go that's been going into that black hole? I would say it's going to go into life. It may go into spirit. It may go into resting into the peace. It may go into exploring other possibilities instead of the same old, same old selfing keeps introducing to your head. So, I don't know. To me, it's a cool idea. You know, to me, my job is to, you know, serve you a spiritual subpoena in a sense. It's on you now. <laughs> yeah.